Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I appreciate so very, very much each of you being here tonight. We have visitors. We thank you so very much for your being here. We thank you for your lifting up our hands and being here and coming to study the Word of God with us and hope you, hope you brought your Bibles with you and you'll open them up and study with us as we look at God's Word even tonight. The members have been so kind to us. We appreciate that very, very much. Uh, you've fed us and encouraged us and uh, motivated us even more to the service of the Lord, and we thank you for that. Uh, it's, a, it's been a pleasure to be with you and certainly have enjoyed being with uh, the McKibbins and uh, in their home this evening and appreciate them so very, very much. Uh, Josh is um, a good man of God, and I know you know that. And I know you appreciate him, and you should. Uh, I believe he uh, loves the Lord. I think he loves the truth. And when you have someone that loves the Lord and loves the truth, then you know for certain that he's going to love you. And he's going to preach and teach what God wants all of us to know and all of us to obey. And for that, we should be thankful. There's a number here that I would like to say howdy to, but I'll say howdy to everybody, but some specifics, and we'll talk to them later after services, but I'm glad to see some that are here, appreciate so much that you're here uh, visiting from other places. Thank you for coming. We have been talking about God's prescription for life's pains, and tonight we want to talk about the heart. And I hope that tonight's lesson will be helpful and beneficial to each of us. And as we've talked about Jesus being the great physician, we need to believe in God. We need to believe God. And He can cleanse our hearts. And as we study through tonight's lesson, I hope that what we will be able to glean from this, the proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If we can just get our thinking right, we'll start to talk right. And when you talk right, you'll start walking right. Because talking and walking come from the heart. And God can cleanse our hearts. We can talk and walk like God wants us to walk and to talk. So as we proceed in the lesson tonight, I hope you will always keep that in mind. And I want to address the very idea of 
the great and awesome blessing that we have from God through Christ, who is our great physician, that he can indeed cleanse our hearts. So tonight, if you are present and you have the guilt, you have the shame, you have the fear, you have dismay, you have discouragement, you have disappointments, God can cleanse that. God can cleanse your heart. And He can make you what He wants you to be. But you've got to be submissive to that. That's the beginning of the passage that I read in James 4. You must submit to God. You must resist the devil. And then and only then can God through His great Word purify our hearts as children of God for us to be what we ought to be. So let's begin our study. I would like for us to begin by looking at Acts chapter 8 for a moment. In Acts chapter 8, there is the story of a man that was a magician. And he had bewitched the people for a long time. And that simply meant that he had been fooling them. And they thought he was someone great. Simon comes to town and he preaches the word of God. He performs miracles. And Simon is convinced he sees the real deal. He's been a fake. He sees the real thing. He becomes convinced. He becomes a Christian. We find out that Peter and John come to town because they want to be able to help the Samaritans to be able to solidify their faith, lay hands upon them, and them be able to perform miracles, to be able to sustain their faith, but then to help grow their faith and to spread the borders of the kingdom even more. It is Simon who sees by the laying on of the apostles' hands that the gift of the Spirit is given. And thus our text, verse 21 Peter responds to Simon who says, give me this power. I want to be able to do this as well. I want to be able to lay my hands on someone and give them the Holy Spirit. Give them the power to be able to perform miracles. And he offered them money. Well... Peter responds, verse 21, you have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you say or you have said may come upon me. Now, there are lots of lessons from this text. My intent is not to cover all of those lessons, but to point out this. Here was a man that just obeyed the gospel. He had come a long way to become a Christian in what he was to what he become. But even after a person becomes a Christian, because of lust and covetousness, we can be tempted And our hearts become corrupted to want 
to do the wrong things as a Christian. This passage would certainly illustrate once in faith, always in faith, once saved, always saved, is absolutely not true. Simon did become a Christian. He was had every sin washed away. But yet his heart was tempted. He lusted and coveted this power. I have every reason to believe that Simon, in requesting of Peter that they pray for him, that they did just that, and that he was forgiven of the thought and intent of his heart. Well, what I would like to use this passage for is simply to say that when we become children of God, we, having been forgiven of all of our sins, the great physician forgives us. The great physician, he cleanses us of all of our past sins. But as we walk the Christian life, as we try to grow day by day, we will be tempted again. We will fall again. We will make mistakes. And it will come from those three very things that we talked about in the Garden of Eden. Those three means by which we can be tested or tempted through the flesh or through the eyes or through our pride. And when we give in to those temptations and we sin against God, our hearts become corrupted again. And it is the power of the great physician through the blood of Jesus Christ that as disciples, we can go to our God when we recognize that we have given Him, when we realize we've sinned. We can go to our God and petition Him for forgiveness when we have truly repented and we're, we're, we're wanting to change it and do the right thing. He will again forgive us through His blood. And that's a wonderful blessing that we have from Jesus Christ. But here's something that you have to understand. You gotta get your heart right. You gotta keep your heart right. And that is a challenge. We have all sorts of bombardments into our minds in this day and age. There are so many ways that the devil has in order to allure us and tempt us and to get into our hearts. Now, just so we understand what we're talking about, when we're talking about when Simon said, when Peter said to Simon, your heart is not right with God, he wasn't talking about this. Lots of times we as Christians and just accommodatively, we'll say, you know, oh, I just, I just feel in my heart. Well, you, you're patting on the wrong thing. This is a heart, but this is the one that pumps the blood. All right? If you're going to talk about what you feel, and you're talking about conviction, you need to point a little higher. You need to point up here. Your mind. This is your Bible heart. This is the, this is the center of your faith and your belief. Your conscience, I would add, personal opinion, make sure you get that part, this is ultimately the soul of man. This is the heart of man. This is where you are, right here, not here. This is a physical thing that keeps your blood circulating. This is what keeps you spiritually alive. So, having said that, when we talk about the heart... Peter was saying, your heart is not right with God. 
And I think it's important for us to understand that the verbiage that is used there is the word, the intent of your heart. The intent has to do with that which is your thought or the design. That is premeditation. That is something that you are thinking about and you're desiring. This is a quick note, a side note, and we'll get to this a little bit later. Someone that commits murder. That usually just doesn't up and happen. It can. But usually does not just up and happen. There's an intent. There's a thought. So someone that walks murder or does murder, we already know what they've been thinking about. Because someone that commits murder has to think about it. And if you think about it, they've probably talked about it. So the process is think, talk, walk. You follow me? So when the text says, when Peter says, the intent of your heart is not right. Simon had made a plan. He thought about what he was going to do. And then he talked about it. And when he talked about it, that's when it got him in trouble before he ever got a chance to walk it. You follow me? All right. So when we look at this idea, is your heart right with God? That might be a question that you would think that we would be studying about how to become a Christian. That is pertinent and important. But my lesson are for us who are Christians. Just as this question was asked to someone who was a Christian. Is your heart right? So. Let's consider this for a moment. What is the intent and thought of your heart as you worship God this evening? Uh, let's think about this for a moment. We understand from God's word that we must not judge other people's hearts. Now, Jesus taught that we can be judges. We judge not according to the appearance, he said in John seven twenty four, but to judge righteous judgment. We're not to cast our pearl before the swine. All right. So you have to then determine if somebody's a pig or not. All right. Now, if you've ever been around old pigs, you know, if you take a a strand of pearls and you hold it before a pig, uh, what's a pig going to think about the pearls? They don't care nothing about pearls. If you get them too close, they might grab them and eat them. Right. Well, the analogy that is used there by our Lord is that the pigs are those who have no concern for the pearls, the Word of God, that you're trying to teach them. And he says, do not cast your pearls before the swine, lest they turn and eat you. (laughs) Right? So there has to be a judgment to be made. So the idea, if you're a Christian, you're never to do any judging, is absolutely not truthful. But what we're talking about here, we're talking about... God teaching us that we must not judge another man's heart because we cannot know another man's heart unless that man tell you what is in his heart. Looking at Brother Harris right here. He's looking right at me. He looks like he's intent, but he may be thinking about eating a hamburger tomorrow. You know, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking about. You know, I I, I want to give him the credit that he seems to be, you know, in tune here with, you know... You know, we, 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 we're making a contact here, you know. And I'm thinking that. But, you know, outward appearances can be deceptive. He could appear to be, but he might not be. 
But you know, I don't know. So for me to say, oh, Harris sitting there, he ain't paying a bit of attention to a man in the moon. Well, see, I'd be judging his heart, right? And that would be absolutely sinful for me to do. Don't do that. But God knows the heart. Here's a fearful thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. God always knows our hearts. He knows our intent. He knows what we're thinking. I've often thought, how would, how would it be to, to, to be in a husband-wife relationship and you both knew exactly what each other were thinking? Now, my wife and I have been married 43 plus years and it is scary sometimes. We'll get in the car and we may drive 200 miles and never say a word. Never say a word for 200 miles. And all of a sudden we will both start to speak up at the exact same time and talk about and start talking about the exact same topic. And it's kind of freaky that, you know, man, was we sitting here communicating when we were not talking or what's the deal, you know? Well, you, the idea that you live with someone long enough, you start becoming like your spouse or you start looking like them and for some... I feel sorry for you, sister, if you're going to start looking like him. But anyway, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? The, 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 the reality is we start thinking alike and, and becoming one, you know. But you know, God really does know what you're thinking. God really does know what you're thinking. Let me say that one more time. God really does know what you're thinking. So you best be careful sitting in this place, coming here for the purpose of worshiping God and learning from His Word, and your mind is somewhere else. God knows your heart. Thus the question, what is the intent of your heart? I would also say to us that God examines our hearts. And it's a very important thing that we understand that. That God examines children's hearts. God examines middle-aged hearts. And He examines all men's hearts. And so, as a child, Jesus so many times complimented the idea of a child. And their, their innocence. And He even says to His disciples, you need to become like children. You know what's great for a preacher is when you're preaching and teaching the Word of God. If you can preach it and teach it where a five or six year old can pay attention and listen to you and hear and do just what that little sweetheart did right there. When I'm walking up, she was looking down and she looked up at me and she looked right at me. You know what? She's listening. That's awesome. The intent of your heart. Are you listening? God knows whether you're listening. Now, when we consider the idea that we judge our own hearts by God's Word. Turn to this passage with me in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 12. Um, A quite revealing passage, I think, that's important for us to see how God can cleanse us and how ultimately He does that through His Word. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit and both the joints and the marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, I'm not sure I can explain each and every aspect of that verse, but I will say this. You know what the Word of God is able to do? To judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Just one possibility for us to think about in regards to that word is that the word of God is able when it's read and when it's consumed by your heart, it then enables us to know ourselves about the intent and purpose of why we do what we do or if we're obeying what God says or we're not obeying what God says. For instance, if I was to say to you the simple question, do you think you're going to heaven? My my feeling has been through the years that most Christians respond this way. Well, I hope so. What was Paul's answer to that question? I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. How did he answer the question? I'm going to heaven. How could he know that? Because he knew his heart. How did he know his own heart? Because he knew the word of God. Do you think you're going to heaven? You can answer that if you allow the word of God to measure your heart. How would you do that? Search the word of God. All that he says do. All that he says don't do. And the way you ought to live. You can read the word of God. And you can figure that out for yourself. It's not a magic formula. It's not some some unknowable thing as to what is going to happen to you on the day of judgment. If you want to know if you're going to heaven, the word of God can reveal that to you. And it can reveal your heart because you start going down through the checklist of things. You start reading the Bible and there's some things you're supposed to be doing. And you say, I'm not doing that. So what does that equal? When God says do this and you're not doing it, what about when you get to the checklist of the things don't do and that's what you're doing? What does that tell your heart? You can tell yourself, I ain't going under these conditions. Well, how I'm living my life, I'm not going to go. So when you read passages like, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And now let me ask you this question. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have read that passage before? Raise your hand. How many of you have obeyed that passage? Alright, what do you know about that passage now? I've done that. I've done that. Now what do you know about your heart? You can have a good conscience about that. I've done that. The Word of God will judge your own heart. Your heart, compared to what God says enables you to have a good conscience about yourself and to have joy and peace or not. James 3 and verse 14 talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. How do you know if you got that in your heart or not? If I said to you, well, you're just bitter and you just, you, you, you've got bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart and you say, I do not. You know, you could go to the Word of God and you could start reading the Word of God and you could read all kinds of stories that illustrate about bitter jealousies and about those selfish ambitions. You could go back and just read about King Saul. 
King Saul, in the book of 1 Samuel, you could read about his life and you could learn all about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and you could conclude this. Well, I'm not like him. I'm surely not doing that. And you could come up with a conclusion and judge your heart as to whether or not you are guilty or not. Just from one example. You follow what I'm saying? The Word of God is the means by which God has provided so that you can know the intent of your heart. Okay? But have we allowed Satan to get in your heart? Now that's when things go south. You remember, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles asked some Christians when they had sold their property and kept back part of it, and they act like they gave it all. Remember one of the questions? Why has Satan filled your heart that you would lie against God? Now how did Peter know that? Well, Peter wouldn't know the heart of that person. God gave him that information so that he could reveal to these people that God knew their hearts and that they were being hypocritical, pretending to give all when they did not give all. God knows. Alright? So, what we learn from this is, is that Satan can fill your heart and you can make some very terrible choices. But this is how we defend it. We do something bad. We say something bad. And we say, oh, I didn't mean to do that. That that wasn't my fault. Oh, that's not really me. Or sometimes persons have personalities of such. And they say, oh, you know, he gets that way. Or he's just angry. Or he's just upset. You know, that's just him. That's just the way he does. And you know what you're doing? You're enabling. You're enabling Christians... To act in an ungodly way when God's word says, don't do that. And somebody said, well, that's just my personality. Then change your personality. Change your actions. My personality. I have some innate, God-given through my parents, ways and feelings. But since I became a Christian... I have become a child of God. And I'm supposed to live my life following the example of Jesus Christ, His Son. And what that ultimately means that happens in my life, the old Lowell Salee before he was a Christian, that was one guy. Well, that old fella, he died. And I was born again of the water and the spirit. And when I came up, I was a new creature. And in the process of all these years, the word of God, God through his word, has been changing me. And there's been a metamorphosis in my life that I'm not the person today that I was 50 years ago. I've changed. So the old adage, I was born this way, or that's just the way I am, or that's my personality. Let me say it in a very scientific term. That is baloney. That's that's an excuse. When you come to Jesus Christ, the great physician, he not only can forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, he can change your life. He can change your life. Do you believe in God? Do you believe God? He can change you. 
But you have to allow Him. If you let Satan come into your life, He's going to change you too. But letting Satan in is a choice. There was a time when Satan came in to people against their will. But you remember what the Lord said? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Remember what Jesus came to do? He came to chain the devil. He came to, to overcome the devil, to overcome death, to give us all hope. Jesus does not allow Satan to overcome you, to overtake you, or to make you do anything. It is totally, totally wrong to ever say, the devil made me do it. Jesus put a stop to that. The devil may have tempted you, and you may have allowed him to come into your heart, and you may have given in, you may have been deceived by him, but it was an influence of the devil, and you made the choice, and you sinned. Remember Sunday morning, our first lesson of Eve in the garden? That's exactly what she did. We do that too. And when we're Christians, and we allow the devil to come in, our hearts are not right. The intent of our heart is not right. We can know that. So if I ask you the question, are you going to heaven? Can you answer that question? You do know the answer to that question in your life. You're sitting there thinking, maybe like me. uh, I got some work to do. And we're probably saying, I hope he don't come right now. Because I got more stuff to do. What are you saying? You know your heart, don't you? We've let Satan in too many times, haven't we? Well, when we consider the heart, a bad heart will reveal itself. Now, I may not know your heart, but in time, what you think, who you are, comes out in what you say and what you do. So a bad heart reveals itself. That's the analogy or the metaphor in regards to Jesus talking about you will know a tree by its fruit, right? So the way we talk, the way we act is the fruit of our hearts, okay? So look at Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How do I know where your treasure is? Let's ask it this way. How do I know what's most important to you? How do I know these... This couple right here, the Bellwoods, how do, I, how do I know that they love little Sophie? By their fruit. By their fruit. The way they treat her. The way they attend to her. Right? We know that. If they treated her badly, could we see that? Well, their actions say something about their heart. Does that make sense? Well, everything that we do as Christians says something about our hearts. When you look at Colossians chapter 3, Paul made this same argument. And 
he encourages the brethren at Colossae, thus encouraging even us as to our hearts and how important it is for us to have a good heart. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised up with Christ, Lord, you're a Christian, keep seeking things that are above. That's the continual action verb. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. From the Sermon on the Mount, that's putting treasures in heaven. Same concept. Verse 2, set your mind. That is to keep on keeping on thinking about things above, not on things of the earth. Now, you have to go to work. You have to go to school. Your kids have ball games. Your kids uh, have piano lessons. There, there, there are things that happen, and you can't 100% of the time think about heaven and going to heaven. But here is the, the point, is that the main thing in your life is going to heaven. The main thing that you concentrate on, the main thing that is the most important to you is going to heaven. So if you have the intent of heart that your work is not your life, your school is not your life, ball games are not your life, being a Christian is your life. The intent of your heart is the most important thing in every aspect of your life is putting God first. Our speech and actions will tell others whether that's true or not. I visited brethren that hadn't been in the worship service for three months. And you go sit down and talk with them, you know, and... And try to, you know, something wrong? Did you get mad about something? You've been sick? I thought maybe you died. I hadn't heard anything, you know. And, you know, what's the deal? And and here's sometimes the answer. Oh, Brother Salee, I still love the Lord. I He's he's still right here. And that's what they do. Right here. He's, he's right here. I carry Him with Him everywhere I go. I still love Him. I ain't never left Him. Now, I've never said to a person like that, you're lying through your teeth. I never said that. But I thought it. I thought it. Because here's the concept. We can take a vacation from God and our speech and our actions show that God is nowhere in our hearts, but we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we're still men the Lord. We're just like that. What has happened, the devil has come into your heart and he has taken residence and he has deceived you into thinking that eating that piece of fruit don't make any difference. And you're deceived. Every day our heart speaks loudly to those round about us. I I try as best I can in local congregations where I preach to motivate people to teach others about Jesus Christ. And I try everything I can to encourage the disciple of Jesus Christ that it's not all about you, it's about others, and it's important we take the gospel to others. But one of the first things that I teach someone, because I believe it's absolutely true, if you're not living it, Don't go out and try to teach it. 
Because you're going to come across hypocritical. The worst thing that could happen is when you have someone that is not living right try to go out and evangelize and try to convince somebody to become a Christian. That will turn people away. It turns people off. You say, well, Brother Slee, do I have to be perfect? Do I have to, you know, never make a mistake? No, that, that that's not true. I think you can go back and study just briefly the apostles and understand that they were not perfect men. But here's the intent and thought of your heart. I think most people have enough sense to recognize when a person is trying to do all they can do and they're doing all they can do. Are you doing all you can do? Are you doing your best? When you do your best, that does not mean you're perfect, sinless. When you're doing your best, you're doing all you can do. And brother and sister in Christ, for many years in my life, in fact, all the years of my life, when I've tried to do the best that I can, I still fall short. And I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I'm thankful for the love of God. He is a great physician and He will heal up my backslidings. But God always wants all of your heart. He wants all of you to serve Him. To give Him all of your mind. That's why the passage... When Jesus was asked, which is the great and far most commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Give it all you got. If you're a coach, you're coaching a kid, and they go out there, whether it's fielding the ball or it's hitting the ball or it's kicking a football, whatever it is, and that kid may not be the most talented kid, but that kid gives 110%. They're out there, they're giving it all, and they're busting themselves up and down the field, and they're just giving it their all. It's hard to in any way ridicule or put down that kid, even though they don't catch it, even though they don't hit it, but they're giving their best. They're doing their absolute utmost. And then there's that kid who's got all the talent, who has all the ability, and they go out there and give about 10%, So here's the question. Which are you? Which am I? I'm convinced that as disciples of Jesus Christ, He gives us all talents. He gives us all abilities. Either we're using them or we're not. Either we're sitting on the sidelines or we're in the game and we're giving it all we got. God knows our hearts. But here's the point of this point. So does other people. Now, I don't know much about Josh. I've heard him preach a few times. But I'm just going to use him as an example. And I'll stand down here so I can talk behind his back. (laughs) Can you tell when he studied on something a lot? Can you tell when he hasn't studied on something a lot? When you're teaching a class, can you tell when you didn't study enough? 
And can you tell when you've studied a lot? Can you tell that? So can everybody else. And the reality of it is, is that's supposed to be a good thing. Paul said to Timothy, I want you to study and I want you to read and I want you to exert yourself so that your progress may be evident to everyone. Not that Paul was telling Timothy to put on a show, but it's encouraging to others when you've worked and studied and gleaned from God's Word and you grow and you mature and you do better and you're stronger and the way you talk and the way you walk and the way you act becomes so obvious to everyone that you are growing and you're becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be. But we can also tell the opposite of that. When you are not what you ought to be, And you're not practicing what you preach. Well, where does all that start? Here. It's the intent of your heart. Many times we we hear people ask this question. Do I have to come to church on Sunday night? That is not a technical doctrinal question. That is a heart question. If a, if a player comes up and asks the coach, do I got to come practice every day? What's the coach going to say? No, you can only come on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's fine. No problem. Yeah, right. What kind of heart does God want from me? Well, David would be a good place to illustrate that. Because the Word of God says, what about David. David was a man after God's own heart. Now think about David. Honestly, be honest. Do you think, when you think of David, when somebody says, first thought comes to your mind, King David, what's your first thought? He was a man after God's own heart. Is that the first thing you think about? Or do you think about, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He killed Uriah. Is that the first thing you think about? Yet God calls David a man after his own heart. Here is a man. He's not only good looking, the Holy Spirit says. He's a musician. He is a warrior. He was a man that was of such a nature that the mighty men that he had, and that was the biggest, baddest, most awfulest dudes in the world at the time, and they Literally, I guess, worship the ground that David walked upon. Remember the time that he said, oh, if I could just have a drink from the spring. And these two dudes, they ran through all the enemy lines and went down and got him some of that water, risked their necks, got back and gave him the water. And he was just overtaken by the fact that these guys were so brave and courageous and and stupid to, to do that. And he wouldn't even drink the water. He offered as a sacrifice unto God. David is an awesome character. But he was a stinker. He broke all the commandments. The Ten Commandments, he broke almost every one of them just with Bathsheba. And when you consider David, David sinned greatly. However, he was a very humble, repentant man. How would you like to had the personal work assignment that Nathan the prophet got. I want you to go talk to King David. 
and, Dave, and, and Nathan tells him the story about the little sheep and all that. You remember that? And then Nathan says, you're the man. Now, what could King David have done if that didn't set well? Right? But how did David respond to that? I have sinned against God. He loved God and His law. Read the Psalms. He loved to worship. Read the Psalms. He loved God's people. Read the Psalms. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He writes all of these beautiful thoughts of his heart. If you want to know what the intent of David's heart was, read the Psalms. Now here's a man that committed all of these sins, but here's a man that loved God so deeply. So how does that relate to you and I? I don't think I want to compare myself to David in any shape, form, or fashion other than this. I broke a lot of the commandments too. But I'm not sure that God would ever refer to me as a man after his own heart. Because I think I fall well short of the kind of man David was spiritually. It's one thing, brother and sister in Christ, to sin. But it's another complete thing to admit it, repent of it, and ask God to forgive you. And do your best to do better. We get angry sometimes with people when they sin. Especially if they sin against us. I remember what the Lord said in response to a question. How many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? What was the Lord's answer? Seventy times seven. Now this big old boy right here. Done embarrassed him here a while ago. Talking about his wife. What if I just hauled off and just punched him right in the nose? Better run. That's what that guy says. Better run, all right? And before he gets up and his his nose is bleeding, I say, Brother Wife, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't know what came up. The devil made me do that. And I, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What did Jesus say? If a brother asks you to forgive him, what should you do? Forgive him. What if you don't forgive someone that asks you to forgive them? If you won't forgive, neither will God forgive you, right? So if he wants to go to heaven, I say forgive. Give me, what should he do? And he says, I forgive you, and he sits down. Bam! I hit him again. All right? Go through that process. After a weary, he done, he done, uh-uh, uh-uh, no. That happened seven times. You think it's going to happen seven times? It's going to happen seven times? You want to go to heaven, brother? I'm going to say every time, keep you from beating me up. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. He thinks seven times. What, what, what in the world? About 70 times seven. Brethren, we all, we all have room to grow in forgiving others. Did David sin a bunch of times? What was God's attitude toward David every time that David said, I am sorry, Lord, I sinned. God forgave him. You know what the key was? It's not the fact that David sinned. It was the fact that David had the kind of heart that he would make it right. He would repent. He would ask God to forgive him. 
Brother and sister, if you don't get anything out of this lesson, please get this. You are going to sin. You are going to mess up. If you get all bent out of shape and discouraged and despondent about the fact that you've sinned, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it keeps you from repenting, then you don't trust God. David trusted God. The song we're going to sing in just a moment, Psalm 51, is a beautiful evidence of the heart of David. And it's the kind of heart that God wants us to have. So, what a tremendous challenge before each of us today. It's hard to miss a good heart. And I want to just conclude with this because I'm going way past my time here. If, if I've got the chronology right, when David admits he sinned, Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man. The child is already born. Follow me? So how long has David had a hard heart and continued to live in his sin? At least nine months. You follow me? The longer you wait to repent, the harder it is to repent. Let me say this to the young people. The longer you wait to obey the gospel the more difficult it is to obey the gospel. The devil and everything in this old world works against you. God right now knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your intent. He knows why you haven't obeyed the gospel. He knows what He wants you to do is for you to know. And when you realize why you're not obeying, or when you became a Christian, why you have not taken it seriously, God's Word can reveal that intent of your heart. Have you ever wondered why most people don't read the Bible? Because they don't want to find out they're wrong. Don't want to hear it. David repented and so did Simon. He denied the Lord three times. We talked about that last night, right? He repented. But this Simon I'm talking about is the one in Acts 8. He repented. Do you know... God can cleanse our heart, and it's God's Word that touches our heart. When you read this, this, this great and awesome book, it gets into your heart. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It doesn't come by osmosis. You can't lay it... Y'all, y'all familiar with osmosis? <laughs> uh, you can't lay on it and it soak through your ears. You have to read it. You have to put it into your heart. And when you read it and put it into your heart, you hear it and put it into your heart, it changes you. And it takes all of your heart to be a Christian. And then and only then, when we allow this great Word to touch us that way. Last story, and I'll end. 
I was preaching for a congregation. I was young. I was working with an older fella. And there was a family that got mad about something and left. I was very upset. I, I don't, still to this day, I don't know why they left. I don't think it was me. It could have been me. But I was talking to the older fella and told him how upset I was that they, they, they chose to leave. And he says, Lowell says, I want to tell you something. He said, I found through the years, and he had already been preaching probably 50, nearly 60 years. He said, when a person who is a Christian loves the Lord with all of their heart, he says, you can't run them off with a shotgun. He said, but a person that is a disciple who claims to be a disciple and their heart is not right, you can't hold a shotgun on them and keep them there. It all has to do with your heart. What is the intent of your heart? Are you going to heaven? Are you? I remember the football coach saying, are we gonna, are we gonna, we're gonna score this time. We're gonna score. We're gonna make a touchdown, right? And this guy's be, coach, we're on the field, man. We, we, we're getting beat up. We're gonna score this time, right, guys? And he'd get us all fired up. Yeah! We're gonna score! <laughs> we are starting, you know, going crazy. We run out there on the field, you know, and try to score, and we got run over again. But anyway, we, we <laughs> try to score, you know. Try to do it. You gotta get pumped up. Are you going to heaven? Then make up your mind you're going to heaven. And ain't nobody or nothing going to keep you from it. And you put the Lord first in your life and you do everything you can to serve Him with all of you got. God does not expect perfection, sinlessness. But He expects you to give it all. Leave it on the field. Give it everything. Then one day you can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. God can cleanse your heart. And you can be what God wants you to be. Are you going to heaven? Why don't you come as we stand and sing?